We get to hear from our Father this morning uh, through His Word. So if you have your Bible, uh, let's open together to John chapter 10. Only a few more uh, sermons uh, in the Gospel of John this month. Uh, Our first Sunday of Advent will be the last Sunday in November. So I'm excited about that season uh, together. But until then, we're going to continue to look at the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John and His miracles. Uh, So there's seven I Am statements and seven miracles. Uh, We're looking at those um, together. But before we read our text this morning, this is is another one of those passages where uh, we see what, what God is teaching us in this passage. We see the rules. We see um, we see this story in creation at the same time that we see it in His Word. And let me, let me illustrate what I mean by that. I was reading this week about the planet Saturn, and I don't, <laughs> not as a hobby, okay? I don't read about planets, you know, just kind of on the side for fun. That's not my wheelhouse. Um, but I was reading it uh, for an important reason for this passage this morning. Um, the planet Saturn and its rings and its moons uh, is called the shepherd planet. And its moons are called the shepherd moons. And I've heard that expression before, but I didn't know why. And here's why. Uh, astronomers tell us, now that they have collected the data, Saturn in its orbit around the sun kind of acts like a vacuum cleaner. It acts like a shepherd. It acts like a filter. As, as it orbits the sun, it, it, it will collect um, asteroids and, and meteors, and it will absorb those into its planet, or its rings will kind of act like a filter and, and break it up into smaller pieces, or the gravitational pull from the planet or the moon itself will split, spin the asteroid out into space and away from the Earth and away from us and away from danger. And as they've watched Saturn kind of do its orbit around the sun, they've watched it clean our galaxy. And so the moniker and the name they've given it is the shepherd planet because it protects and it guards us from danger and guards us uh, from evil, though we can't see it with our naked eye. That's the important point. We can't see it, but now that we know it's there, uh, in the same way, um, the church uh, the people of God have a shepherd. And though we can't see him with our naked eye, uh, nor can we see him with a microscope, and a microscope, telescope, uh, he's there. And, and just like Saturn, but in bigger ways, uh, he's guarding and he's protecting. And John wants us to know that. Jesus wants us to know that. That being said, John chapter 10, uh, we're going to begin in verse 11. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. 
So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's as if the train knew. That could take a second. I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I'll just speak louder. Um, I was listening to a song this week. It's, it's one of my favorite songs by this artist. Uh, the artist is Marvin Gaye. Okay, it's not that song. <laughs> it's a different one. Um, in, in 1972, uh, Marvin Gaye uh, recorded you know, a brand new album, and everybody was anticipating it. Everybody was excited about it. It was the follow-up album uh, to the one that he had just done, uh, What's Going On. Remember that album? And so everybody was excited. He's got a new album coming out. The first one did so well. And on the front end of this album, they did what, you know, everybody does. They, he released a single. Uh, the recording agency released a single, and it wasn't widely popular or accepted or liked among listeners. And because of that and because of, you know, some conflict going on between Marvin Gaye and the recording company, um, the recording agency took the album and put it on a shelf and left it there for almost 30 years. It was released in 2019, just two years ago. Um, But on this album, uh, there was a song, and uh, just instrumentally when it it begins, uh, it sounds like a gospel song. It's got an organ, an electric guitar, and here's how the song begins. Uh, The song is called Piece of Clay, okay? Here's how it begins. Fathers, stop criticizing your sons. Mothers, leave your daughters alone. That's what's wrong with this world today. And then he laments uh, with this chorus that, that kind of goes throughout the whole song. And then he, here's what he says. He says, everybody wants somebody to be their own piece of clay. Everybody. Everybody wants somebody to mold. Everybody wants somebody to be their own piece of clay. Right? Uh, he's onto something, isn't he? There's a lot of truth in that. It's, it's not an incredibly deep song, but it's, it's one of those things that art does for us. It takes something that we've been feeling and it puts it to words and we just go, yeah, he's right. That's exactly how I feel. I feel like a lump of clay and I feel like everybody in this world wants to be my potter. Right? I don't know about you, but I feel like, and marketers have, have figured this out, I feel like Everybody is vying for my fellowship. And maybe you feel the same way. Bank with me. Uh, put your trust in me. Listen to me, and we're going to have you on the road to financial security. Right? Or give me your credit card number, 
And every month, uh, we're going to take some money from you, and we're going to have you looking and feeling like you're 20 again, right? Vying for your fellowship. And more recently, follow me, trust me, uh, hit your wagon to me, uh, associate yourself with me because I know what's best for America. I know what our country needs more than anybody else, so associate yourself with me, follow me. I'll be your potter. You'll be my clay. But what we all know is, is that not every potter is a good potter, uh, though we are all clay. John here says the exact same thing in this passage. The same song, just a different verse. Instead of clay, we're sheep. John says this world is, is full of sheep, and everybody wants to be your shepherd. Everybody wants to lead you. Everybody wants you to follow them. But guess what? What if this world and what if the church had one potter, one shepherd that was so good, that was so trustworthy, that if, that if we were to be in him and follow him and trust him, to be molded by him, to follow closely behind him, we would never be led astray, and that if he crafted us, he would always craft us into masterpieces. We could trust him wholly and fully. What if someone like that existed? John says, guess what, church? Guess what, world? That person does exist. That person is Jesus. He wants to be your potter. He wants to craft a masterpiece. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to lead you. And John tells us why uh, we can trust him when he says that. I want to look at three things uh, in this passage this morning. I want to look at the sheep, the shepherd, and the lamb. The sheep, the shepherd, and the lamb. You'll find that outline in your bulletin as well. Well, first, let's start with the sheep. I said this a couple weeks ago, and let me remind us that when we read these I am statements of Jesus, what Jesus is doing very explicitly is saying something about himself, about who he is and what he has come to do. But if we'll listen to what he explicitly says, he also implies something when he tells us who he is. He also reveals something about us, right? I am the vine, you're the branch. I am the light, and me there is no darkness. And us, we are residents of the domain of darkness. Here, he says, I am the good shepherd. What does that make us? That makes us the sheep. So not only does he say in these I am statements who he is, there's also a you are, okay? And what he tells us in this passage is that we're sheep. And, 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 and what we know is that that has both good connotations and bad connotations. So let's start with the good. We need some good news, right? What are sheep? And, and what would a first century a follower of Jesus heard uh, when they were told that they were sheep? A, a number of things. First, um, you know, sheep are the most popular livestock in biblical times, and, and they are for a reason. Uh, in, biblical, in biblical terms, in business terms, uh, sheep um, have the highest profit margin of all livestock. Let me explain. Sheep, uh, at the end of the day, can be consumed for food. Apologies to the vegans in the room, but uh, at least in biblical times, sheep could be consumed. They could be eaten. You can't say that about all the livestock. Yes, you could eat them. You probably don't want to, uh, but if you got in a pinch, you could, but you don't eat mules. 
You don't eat horses. Uh, sheep have really, really good uh, meat for food, so they can be uh, consumed. Uh, more importantly, uh, sheep provide sheepskins for clothing, right? There is a reason why when people make socks, they make them out of wool. It's because, you know, unlike cotton and other, other materials, uh, wool, because it's organic, it's natural, it has this ability to keep warm and to keep you dry and not absorb odors or smells. That's why a lot of really, really good socks are made out of wool. It's not just because they're durable, but it's for smell and for odor. Uh, a sheep exists in some ways uh, once a year to provide clothing for others, to provide coverings, provide warmth uh, through their skin. Um, no other livestock provides that like sheep. Uh, you know, unlike some livestock like horses or oxen or other cattle, sheep don't eat as much. They don't consume as many resources uh, as other animals do. And of all the livestock, they are the most valuable. Uh, I, I couldn't find a consensus on how much they were worth compared to other animals, but, but here's the point. You remember when Jesus was teaching uh, the parable, and he says, you know, it's like when the shepherd loses one sheep, and he leaves the 99 to go find the one who is lost. Like, all of the, everybody in the first century would have gone like, yeah, that makes sense. To us, we just go like, um, well, we think too much in business terms. Well, the, the law of diminishing returns tells us this. And if I calculate the cost of what, of what, a, you know, what a, a lamb is worth, and if I pay myself minimum wage and the time it's going to take me to go get them, in the end it may not be worth it. No, that's thinking like, like a 21st century American. Um, sheep are incredibly valuable. They'll leave 99 to go find the one. They're that precious. That's the good news about sheep. But here's the bad a sheep are not the smartest. They're not sly like the fox. They don't know how to work in packs like lions or wolves. Uh, sheep are prone to wander. They run off for no reason. Uh, they are prone to get lost. Um, sheep are easy to scatter at, at the first sight or smell of a predator. A sheep panic and they disperse, uh, especially without a shepherd. But know this too, sheep are the most fragile. Uh, sheep don't have defensive mechanisms. You know, you, you drive through Salina and you see all these longhorn cattle. You don't get close because you're looking at those horns going, um, I'm not going to mess with those. They're bigger than me. Uh, sheep have no defensive mechanisms. Uh, they're helpless. Uh, they're fragile. They're vulnerable, right? That's, that's the bad news. Um, we need to camp there for a minute. We do. Why? Because in this passage, in this story, it tells us something about ourselves. Jesus, though He's the good shepherd, He's also telling us something about us as a people. We're sheep. And there's good things about that, and there's things about that that are very hard to swallow. Here's the good thing. More than anything else in all of creation, by calling us sheep, do you hear what the good shepherd is, is, is calling us and associating us with? Is great value and great worth. 
He treasures you more than the jewels in the earth. He dances over you. He gives you his image. He loves you as the crown of creation, as the pinnacle of his work on day six. You are man and you are woman, and you're made in his image, and you have great value. But at the same time, like sheep, we're fragile, we're vulnerable. We're prone to wander, and we're prone to scatter. If we don't have a shepherd, we're helpless, and we're vulnerable. You need to sit with that for a minute, and you need to sit with that this week. Nothing stirs us, nothing makes us more uncomfortable to hear that we're sheep, but don't hear that at the expense of the good news. You're valuable. He treasures you, but you're vulnerable especially without a shepherd. That's who we are. That's the sheep. Uh, What do we know about uh, the shepherd? Uh, Think about this with me on the front end of this point. Um, Let's step out of the first century, and let's come back to our our day and our time. Uh, We're 21st century. Um, What jobs and what professions right now have the most rugged employees? Um, who are, are those, um, what are those jobs and what are those professions that, that to do this, you have to be the toughest of the toughest, right? You can't be soft, can't be weak, uh, you got to have calloused hands. What are those jobs and what are those professions? I, I think of several, you know, a lot of us are thinking Navy SEALs, no-brainer, right? Uh, nurses have to be tough, right? They have to deal with a lot of stuff. I even thought about like those, um, those oil, um, uh, what are those things called? Those little islands out in the middle of the oceans that, that are drilling for oil. And, and the men who are, you know, putting these drills together, they're covered in crude oil, and they're using these wrenches that are as, as long and as tall as I am, right? And they've got these bulging biceps, and they don't care about how they look. Um, they're rugged, their forearms are the size of Popeye, Right? We think about them and we go, those, those, are, th- th- those guys are tough. Those guys are rugged. I, I don't know what pops into your mind when you hear of the word or the profession shepherd. But what somebody in the first century would have heard would have been something like that, tough, rugged. Uh, because to be a shepherd, uh, you, don't, you don't just kind of be a shepherd as a hobby or a part-time job. It's a full-time job. It requires constant vigilance. Uh, when one is lost, you have to go find them. Uh, when your herd is threatened, you have to go between them and the threat. Oftentimes, you would spend uh, nights sleepless uh, because of where you were for fear of losing any of your sheep. And what's worse is if you did get sleep, you know, on one side of you, you had your sheep in the sheep pen, and on the other side of you, you had the predators. And if you've ever slept close to a barn or near livestock, it smells. Uh, Their hands were worn, their bodies uh, were tough. Not an easy job. Uh, This job was often given to the youngest child in the family. Remember when Samuel came to Jesse's house and said, show me your sons, and all the sons lined up. Samuel said, is Jesse, is this all you have? And he said, well, actually, no. The youngest is tending the herd. And who was that? That was David, the shepherd. 
I remember Jacob when he went to Laban's house and to his land. Uh, who is the shepherdess in Laban's family? Do you remember? It's not Leah, the oldest. It's Rachel, the shepherdess. Moses calls her a shepherdess. She was the youngest, and it was the job of the youngest to tend the sheep, not the glorious job. It was often the hardest job, the least respected, but also the hardest uh, at the same time. Last thing I want to say about shepherds is this, is um, the job of a shepherd is subjective. It's emotional work. Uh, some of us have a job where we can, re- we can kind of be objective, meaning um, we can you know, go to work and leave work there and come home and, and not have to think about it, not have to worry about it. Shepherds can't afford that. Um, C.S. Lewis said something very interesting a long time ago, and I forget which book it is. But he's talking about love, and he's talking about affection. And he, he says, if you ever come up across someone or something that you don't love, and you want to love it, here's what you do. You serve it. You pretend, not pretend, but act toward it in love. Even though emotionally your love for it may not be there, you move towards it. You serve it. You oversee it. You act as if you love it. And he says, you know what happens after a while, after you do that? You start to love it. And though these sheep stink, and though they they wander and, and get lost, and though they're vulnerable, and though they're fragile, after a time, the shepherd loves his sheep. They become dear to him. They're not just a job. They're a part of his livelihood. He loves them. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in my reading this week, uh, I, I noticed how similar the job of a shepherd is, is to the job of a king. They're almost the exact same job description. Uh, one has, you know, all the glory and all the glamour, and one is very regal. The other is very humble and very low, but it's the exact same job. Oversee a people. Oversee a group. Protect them. Lead them. Defend them. Fight for them. Speak for them when it's hard and when they get out of line. Talk. Move. But lead. That's why David made such a good king of Israel, right? It's because he was a shepherd first. Uh, Not all kings are shepherds, right? Not everybody that has power uses it correctly. Some wield it carelessly and, 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 and without any caution whatsoever. Not every king is a shepherd, but if you're a shepherd, you're a king because you know how to care for people. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for your people, for your herd, for your followers. Shepherds are very much like kings. Here's why that's important. John here says that Jesus is not just like a shepherd. He's not just shepherd Lee. Of everybody vying for your fellowship, of all the voices, all the din, all the noise, all the campaigns, there's one voice of one shepherd, of one potter, and he's good. Not everyone is good, but there is one who's a shepherd and a king, and he is good. What makes Jesus such a good shepherd. Uh, The first uh, is this. He fully knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. Um, Some of you might remember uh, last year we were studying some psalms, 
And when we got to Psalm 23, I, I pulled this book out. Um, this is a very, very short book. If you like devotionals, uh, I'd recommend this one. Uh, it's called The Lord Our Shepherd. It's by a man named J. Douglas McMillan. And he grew up in Scotland. And he was a shepherd, a farmer of sheep, and was converted about the age of 20, 21, and became a minister, a Presbyterian minister. And so because he knew uh, what life as a shepherd looked like, uh, this is kind of his commentary on John chapter 10 and Psalm 23. From a shepherd's point of view, uh, we, we can't understand that because we've gotten so far from agricultural uh, societies and contexts. This is very helpful. Uh, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. Here's what he says about this point, about the shepherd knowing the sheep. I'm going to read two little accounts here. He says, you know, there's a feeling that every shepherd has about a lamb that's born into his flock, whether he owns his sheep or not. He knows the sheep from the moment of its birth. Although it's been 21 years since I've finished shepherding, I can remember lambs that were born in specific places on that hill of some 2,000 acres where I shepherded. I could look at a sheep sometimes and remember where it had been born two or three years before. Some of them were born in very rough weather. And when you get a lamb born out of the hills of Argyllshire, and in that kind of weather, you have something, you have to do something about it. Sometimes I carried them. I carried them back five miles. So you see, you don't, you don't forget them very easily. And just before I finished shepherding, I was looking after almost 2,000 breeding ewes. And amongst them were a great many I could point to, remembering the day they were born. The place on the hill. The kind of day it was. What their mother looked like. For all sheep are different. And listen to the story about his friend who was another shepherd. He says, I've known men who knew their sheep so well that they could recognize them anywhere. One man I remember had sold a hundred lambs in Oban, and traveling in a train, three weeks later he passed a big flat plain called the Kars of Sterling, where lambs are fattened and then sold. When he got back home, this fellow said to me, he said, you know what, Douglas, I saw my lambs. I said, where did you see your lambs? He replied, well, in among about the 3,000 of the other ones in a field at Sterling. You see, I didn't even think to say to him, how did you know that they were your lambs? There were no earmarks, because for the market, uh, they didn't mark the lambs that they were going to sell. He said, but I never thought of asking him that. The man would have looked at me and said, are you daft? Of course he knew his lambs. Now, on the one hand, being known by God is endearing. To be known by the Creator, where you were born, who your mother was, who your father was, the day you were born, He remembers even clearer than you do. He remembers you. On the one hand, that's endearing. On the other hand, that's incredibly frightening because He knows you, everything about you, the things you're willing to confess, the things you're scared to confess. Better than your spouse knows you. Better than your parents know you. He knows everything about you. And if you're honest, that, that terrorizes you. That should terrorize you to be fully known by someone. It's a scary thought, except for this. John, John here says, not on, only are you fully known by the Good Shepherd, 
but he's willing to sacrifice himself on your behalf to suffer the penalty that you deserve for all of your sins, for all of your shortcomings, for all of your rebellions, for all of your wanderings, He's going to offer Himself for you. That's what makes Him the Good Shepherd. He knows you fully, right? And if people knew us fully, what would they say? You're not worth my time. You're not worth my sacrifice. You're not worth my energy. The Lord Jesus knows you fully and says, for you, for the sins you don't even know that you've committed, for you, I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to put myself between the sheep and the predator, between the herd and between the wolves. I'm going to offer myself so that you're not taken, so that you're secured. Five times in this passage, five times he references the willingness, um, his, his ability to know what's about to happen, right? He, he's not surprised by this. Five times in these ten verses he says, I am offering myself. The shepherd is becoming the lamb. The good shepherd, not the one who wants to misuse you, not the one who is out of, who's, who's seeking for your fellowship out of self-interest. No. The shepherd is the lamb. And it's going to be his blood on your doorpost that avoids the wrath of God that we deserved. He knows us, that scary and yet knowing us willingly sacrifices himself. Why? Don't miss this. Is it to put us over a barrel? Is it to say, okay, now I've done something big and grand for you. Now you better do big things for me, bub. That wool better be good. Right? No. What does he want? Does he want your coverings? Does he want great numbers and followings because he's insecure and he wants the biggest group in the world? No. Why does he offer himself as a sacrifice for you? Because he loves you. And just as he and the Father are one, he wants you to be one with him as well. One herd. One shepherd. Did you hear that language in this passage? One herd. Mine. One shepherd. Me. I want you. Not your wool, not your numbers. I want you. Fully knowing you. I want you. How do we uh, apply this? If that's who Jesus is. Uh, so many things. Let me just highlight a few. Uh, Spurgeon said that God's sheep have two marks. If you were a shepherd, you would take a sharpened blade when you got a sheep, and you'd make a mark in their ear. And that would kind of mark them as your own. You wouldn't harm the flesh. You wouldn't harm the wool, like branding of cattle. So you'd mark their ear. Uh, but Spurgeon sped, sur, Surgeon sped, Spurgeon said, um, the, the sheep that belong to God's sheep pen have two marks. One mark is on their ear, and one mark is on their foot. And Jesus references both of those marks, uh, one in the ear and one on the foot here in this passage. Uh, think about this. Uh, our youngest daughter, Brooke, was a, a cheerleader this past year for the first time. And on her cheerleading squad, there was about 20, 25 uh, second graders. And on Saturday mornings when she would cheer for the little peewee football team, you know, they get these peewee, peewee cheerleaders, I mean, cuteness off the charts, Right? 
there are 22 little girls yelling. And it was funny, um, we're sitting next to parents who also had cheerleaders, and one of the dads leaned over and said, can you hear your child? You know, amidst all of the din, all of the noise, can you pick out your child's voice? And every one of us said yes. And we weren't lying. We can hear our child's voice. Why? Because familiarity and repetition uh, breeds trust and knowability, right? We've been around her voice so long that in a, in a large crowd of, of similar voices, we can pick hers out. Frequency right? Repetition breeds familiarity, no ability. What John and, and what Jesus is teaching us and telling us here is the same thing. Our shepherd has a voice, and our ears need to have a mark. Would we know his voice if we heard it? Frequency creates familiarity. Frequency the more you're around His voice, the more you're listening, the more you'll know it. When there's so many other people vying for your attention and your fellowship, you'll hear it. It might be just slightly an octave higher than the others or, or a decibel higher than the others, but you'll hear it. But that comes through frequency, right? But also, um, that's our ear. Uh, verse 16 talks about our feet. In the middle of that verse, it says that this sheep will listen to my voice. That word there, listen, doesn't mean uh, just audibly hear something. That means to, to hearken, to hear and do, to listen and obey, to absorb and to follow. It's to listen and act, right? So it's not just to hear and weigh and wonder and toss aside, but it's for purpose. It's for action. It's not to be static. It's meant to be dynamic. We're supposed to listen and do and to follow. A mark in our ear and a mark in our feet. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't also talk about this. We live in a world where God has created under-shepherds, and that's actually the very context of this passage, right? In the midst of the good shepherd, there's other shepherds, vying for your fellowship and for your money and for your attention and for your allegiance, right? That's the context of this passage. Remember the man that was healed of his blindness, right? Now think about this. When the, when the man was healed of his blindness, what's the first thing he saw? Jesus. The very first thing, the man that was blind from his birth, given sight, he opens his eyes for the first time, wipes the mud away, and what's standing there? Jesus, the door, the shepherd. And naturally, he's filled with awe. Naturally, he's filled with worship. And the Pharisees say, what happened? Tell us. We want to give glory to God. And he said, Jesus did this. And the only person that can do that is God. So Jesus must be God. And you know what they did? They cast him out of the synagogue. Because they're false under-shepherds. How do you know the difference between a false under-shepherd and a good shepherd? It's very simple. There's a very, very clear mark. Did you notice that in this passage? Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, when they see the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches, scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's only in it out of self-interest. He's only in it for the pay. 
I don't care about you. False shepherds say, you die for me. You sacrifice for my benefit. The good shepherd says, I'm going to sacrifice myself for your benefit. I'm going to empty myself for your goodness and for your life. Do you see the difference? There are false shepherds and false voices. And one of the clearest ways to distinguish one between the other is who is acting out of self-interest and who is pushing you to rest in the work of the one and only good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I didn't plan this passage, um, and, and I love the serendipity of it um, because of it. I've, I've pl- I planned these out uh, back in, in, in the summer before I knew where things were going politically uh, and before you know, we had any inclination or any polls as to what was happening. I didn't pick this verse in light of what's happened this week. Okay? But here's my last challenge and admonition to you. Do not act, do not believe, and do not think for one moment that we are a herd without a shepherd. Don't for one moment act, think, or believe that we are a shepherdless flock. More than anybody else in creation, our shepherd is good. How do we know that? Because he said, though I'm God and though I'm entitled to everything, I'm going to give it all up for you. So we could be one herd and one shepherd forever. Some are vying for your attention. Some are vying for your fellowship, and they don't give a royal rip about you. Now is the time to refresh yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on your behalf. You either have or you can have the Good Shepherd as your leader. Anyone He's told us is that our greatest enemy, our greatest foe, has already been dealt with. There's some valleys coming. There's some clefts. There's some difficult times ahead, but guess what? I've been through one. I've been through the darkest one. I've been through the wettest one. I've been through the hardest one, and I made it through in glory. Do you want to make it through in glory? Follow me. Listen to me. Stay close. Be familiar with my voice. Know my tone. So that above everybody else, you know the voice of your good shepherd, who alone is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we believe, uh, help our unbelief. That's almost the prayer every Sunday after every sermon. We hear and our minds are stimulated and challenged in a way, but we need that to move south into our soul, into the place that we can't touch. And we need to see our fears uh, not erased, not wiped away, just outweighed. Because when we stick our head above the herd, we see you out in front. And we can make eye contact and we can know that if you've made it through this earth and this world as a lamb, we could trust you. We can follow you to get us to the other side, to that one herd, that one shepherd forever. Help us to trust in you more than earthly powers, more than princes, more than anything else. Be our king, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.